Okay, guys, so if you notice, the sheet you got is two pages, and that's because we, because of the size of the book and uh, so forth, I wanted to do it in one lesson today, give you the introduction as well as go through the book. Uh, it's basically about uh, four messages uh, when they were back. So back where? Back in Jerusalem. So that kind of gives, let's get into the introduction so you'll understand what I'm talking about. So we're in the Medo-Persian Empire time now. So this is after the exile. The Medo-Persians defeated the Babylonians. And of course, with the defeat of the Babylonians, the uh, ruler, Darius uh, the Great, uh, would give um, permission for the Jews to return to Jerusalem, and they did so under Zerubbabel, and uh, so that was after 70 years of exile. So now we're dealing with a post-exilic prophet, okay? Actually, the last three prophets that we're looking at, and we're looking at the first of the last three, Zechariah and Malachi, they're all post-exilic prophets. So the prophets that we looked at before were pre-exilic, this is a post-exilic prophet. So, it's the second shortest Old Testament book. Haggai is the second shortest Old Testament book. And uh, that is because it is only about two chapters. The shortest one is Obadiah, okay? And that was one. Uh, he is a post-exilic prophet. We just mentioned that. And the book is the report of four messages to encourage the remnant who returned. So when they got back, they needed to do some things. So this is four messages from the prophet to encourage them with what they have to do. And we'll talk about what that is here in a moment. All right, so let's talk about the prophet's name. So Haggai means festival or festive. Interesting name, isn't it? Uh, Haggai was one of those who returned from Babylon with, should be with the remnant led by Zerubbabel. So we don't know if he was born in Babylon. Some scholars think he may have been a child when the exile started because he may have seen the old temple, the, the, the Solomon's temple, the first temple. Uh, we're not sure. All we know is he came from the exile, okay? So we don't know where. So he And he settled into Jerusalem. He is briefly mentioned in Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, and chapter 6, 14 through 16. He's mentioned in that book, which is, again, a narrative book, a historical book about after the exile, okay? So he's mentioned two times there. Uh the date of the prophecy began, Haggai began his prophecy during the second year of Darius in 520 BC. Okay? So this is after uh, the exile, 520 BC. And uh, so let's talk about the four messages. Okay? So they're back. So let me give you a little bit of historical. They're not their own nation at this point, they are a province of the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? Judah now is a province of the Medo-Persian Empire, 
And Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of David, okay? He is a son of David. But Zerubbabel is simply the governor, okay? Meaning he's appointed by the ruler of the empire, and he is simply a governor, but he is of the line of David, all right? We also know later on that Nehemiah, if you know from the book of Nehemiah, he's later appointed as the governor, but sometimes later after this book is written. So the prophetic message was given through, if we look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, the prophetic message was given through Haggai in the second year of Darius. Now, with each one of these messages, it's going to tell you the time frame in which the message was given, okay? So it's going to be up front telling you uh, what's going on, when it was happening, and you'll see what the issue is, okay? So let's take a look here. The message was intended for Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, okay? So this message was intended for two people, although the rest, everybody else read it as well. Okay. So here is the first message. It's going to start off with an accusation. Okay. Look with, if you have your Bibles, let's look at verses two through six. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lays in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you'll never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Wow, interesting. So here's the accusation. What's going on here? Well, the Lord points out that the people say it's not time to rebuild the temple. So the issue is the rebuilding of the temple. So when they get back, what's the old temple is where, folks? Gone. It's in ruins. Okay. But the temple is the central life of the nation, right? It's the central life of the people. Well, now they're back. They're not doing anything with the temple, okay? That's a problem. The Lord responded that it was time for them to live in paneled houses while he dwelt in ruins. So basically he's saying, okay, so you guys are saying it's not time, but you're spending an awful lot of time building your own houses, now, is that a fair accusation? A fair thing that the Lord is pointing out here? Yeah, yeah, okay. Now you might say, well, they do have to dwell somewhere, don't they, George? They got to have a roof over their head to keep the elements off of them. Yes, that's true. But the key term here is paneled. What do you mean, paneled? Well, they paneled their houses, are you ready for this, with cedar. So we're not just talking about a stone house. We're talking about they're going the extra mile in their stone house. Okay? They're paneling their walls with cedar. 
So the Lord is saying, it's time for you to do that while my house lays in ruins. You're not doing anything, which means they're neglecting what? They're neglecting the central reason, the central worship as a community, okay? They're not doing anything there. So here's what he tells them, okay? So he goes through this long list. He says, let's look here again. He says several things. You earn wages so that you put them in bags with holes. Verse, verse 6, you clothe yourself, but you're not warm. You, you sow much and harvest little. You eat, but it's never enough. You drink, but you don't have your fill. Well, what's he talking about here? Well, the Lord calls them to consider that their lack of effort has resulted in their impoverished state. What do you think he's meaning here? He's drawing a direct correlation to something here. What do you think's going on? Okay, all right, that's 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 possible, Tim. Anybody else? Anybody else got a different thought? What what's he pointing out here? Okay, he's talking about their walk with God. It's not where it should be, but he's also pointing out that things aren't going well for them. What's the connection? Okay, all right, that, that's a good thought, Gene. Anybody else? Yeah, Mike. It seems to me like he's referring that seek first the kingdom of God and then put your money in. Then I'll, and, and all these things will be added unto you. There's a connection there, seeking God first, and then you'll be blessed, because right now are they being blessed with what he's describing there you got clothes, but you can't keep warm. You, you earn wages, but it seems like you're putting it in a bag with holes. You, you, you eat, but it, you're, it's not enough. You, you drink, and you don't have your fill. He, he's describing a correlation between the, what they're not doing and where they're at right now. Anybody, anybody got a different way of putting it? Okay, without God, they're never going to find joy. Okay, that's good, John. They're living in the flesh is what you're saying, Rob. Okay, so therefore, are they being blessed? So how can, can we say that because they're not doing what God wants them to do, what they should be doing, therefore, they're not being blessed? And so there seems to be a direct correlation. You say, how's that a direct correlation? Well, remember the covenant. And we're going back to the covenant given to Moses when they were getting ready to enter into the land, it's in Deuteronomy, if you do what I say, if you focus on your attention, Mike said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, then you'll be blessed. So the, the prophet is pointing out here, hey, consider your lack, that your lack of effort has resulted in your impoverished state. You're not doing anything, okay? Now, let's, let's take a look here. Uh, the encouragement. Look with me at verse 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. What house is he talking about here? The temple, okay? So the Lord calls them to consider their ways so that they can begin rebuilding the temple, okay? So that he can... 
say that the temple, consider what you're doing. Go up and get wood. Rebuild my temple, my house. The house he's talking about here is his house. And here's the interesting thing. The Lord states that he will take pleasure in their efforts to rebuild his house. God's going to enjoy, he's going to take pleasure in them doing this. Now, can you relate to that? What do you mean relate to that, George? Well, you ever, you ever work on a project or something, and as you're seeing that project come about, do, are you glum, like, oh, I can't believe this has happened? No, you, there's some excitement with you, right? You take delight in what you have been work, wanting to have happen, now happen, right? God has the same feelings. This is an awesome passage, isn't it? What's that? Yeah, I've never, but it, <laughs> yeah, but how do you feel about it, Bruce? <laughs> oh, okay, all right, all right. But but my point is, is that you're seeing God's heart here. He's taking delight. He wants to take delight in them doing this, of them putting Him first. That's not an awesome thought. God takes delight in us, doesn't He? When we what? Put him first when we when we do what we're supposed to do in our relationship with him. So I think this is interesting. So let's let's go on here, um, verse nine through eleven. Basically, here's what he says: You look for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declared the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withdrawn, withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. All right, so here's what I want you to see. They are facing the consequences of not rebuilding his house while they focus on rebuilding theirs. They're just facing the consequences. You know, it's interesting, a, a book like this should remind us of some things, and here's what it needs to remind us of, that there is a consequence for not doing what God wants you to do. We, we don't think that way. We just think, well, if I don't want to do this, I don't have to do this. No, no, there's a consequence. If, if you belong to the Lord, and you are his, and he's telling you, th and he's guiding you, and folks, he is, if you belong to him, he's going to be guiding you, okay? Bottom line, the Spirit's going to be guiding you into something. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you what it is. I mean, there's certain things that we know that we're all supposed to do, okay? But the fact is, is if we ignore him and just focus on our own thing, there's going to be consequences. The blessing isn't going to be there. And so we, we kind of need to get our perspective on that. So then notice now the response to the message. In verses 12 to 15, here, here's how the folks respond. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozak, Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. And on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. All right, so what's going on here? Well, the leaders and the people responded to the Lord and obeyed him. So they get working. They're stirred up. They realize what they need to do. And through the prophet, the Lord proclaimed that he was with them. Okay? That he was with them. And that's the first message. All right, so let's get into the second message now. We find that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Now, what I want you to notice is, look at chapter 1, verse 15. It says, on the 24th day of the month in the 6th month in the second year of Darius. Okay? So now we come to verse 1, and here's what it says. In the seventh month, which is what? The next month, right? On the 21st day, so it's not even a full month. So it was on the 24th, they operate on a 30-day 30, 30 calendar, 30-day month. So here we are on the 21st, it's not even a full 30 days, okay? The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. All right, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, to, and to the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And according to the covenant that I have made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. In this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Wow. Okay, so let's take a look here. Second message. So one month later, the message came for Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. All right, so we already saw that. The Lord asked, who among the remnant remembers the former temple in all of its glory? So there's obviously among this remnant who returned from exile, there are a few people who remembered. Now, how do I know that that's true? Well, back in the historical narratives, when they talk about the rebuilding of the foundation, there were those who had seen Solomon's temple in all of its glory who wept, who cried because this, what they were building, was nothing compared to what Solomon had built, okay? So there are some there who remember. So the Lord knows that, and he says, who among you of the remnant remembers, okay? Remembers the temple in all of its glory. The people were encouraged to be strong in rebuilding because the Lord is with them. 
So here's what I think is happening. All right. Okay, let's say, I'm going I'm to use Danny here, okay? Let's say Danny builds this beautiful patio. He pours money into it. It's beautiful. He's got individual sockets for each person's crock pot. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to blow out a breaker. He's got individual, and, 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 and he's got, he's got fabulous furniture in it. He's even got it so he can close it up and it'd be air conditioned. You know what I'm saying? It's just a wonderful place. Now, one day lightning hits the place and burns it down to the ground. Okay. Now, Danny Doe needs a new patio. So now he doesn't have the money that he poured into it before. So he's got to build another patio. Do you know what I'm saying? Another, another place to gather. But this time when he builds it, it's just a simple pole building with a couple of outlets that he's hoping won't break the breaker. But while he's doing that, he's discouraged because it's never going to be like the first one. And so why am I even bothering? I can't bring up the first one. This is what's going on here with these folks. They're going to rebuild the temple, but it's not going to be like the first one. Do you understand? When Solomon built it, he was the wealthiest dude in the world. He could do cedar walls. Do you understand? And marble and bronze. These folks are coming back with just their clothes on from exile. What can they do? And so they're going to rebuild the temple. Do you think they're kind of discouraged at the thought of rebuilding God's house? And so he's saying to them, look, you remember, those of you can remember, but I'm with you. I'm with you. So he's trying to encourage them, okay? I'm with you. He's encouraging them to keep going on, even though it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same, all right? So the Lord stated that the glory of the Lord will fill this temple and the glory will be greater than the former. So you build it and I'm going to fill this place and it's going to be filled with such glory, even more glory than the other one. That's God saying, I'm going to show up and do this. Okay? I'm going to do this. All right, now, after two months, all right, let's go on. Now we're going to get to chapter to uh, verse 10 now, verse the third message, Okay? Verse 10, there's a problem. So on the 24th day of the ninth month. So this is, okay, after they decided to rebuild, that was in the sixth month. The seventh month, he's encouraging them to keep going on. Now we're in the ninth month. So this is two months later. Two months later, all right? On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his fold, touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of any, any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if somebody who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. All right, so let me explain what he's saying here. So if the priest in his garment is carrying bread or wine or something, he is supposed to be holy. And so they're asking, does he make it holy? No, he doesn't make it holy. But if that same priest touches, let's say Rob is dead, okay? So he's laying out here, he had a heart attack, and I touch him, okay? I become ceremonially unclean. 
okay? I become ceremonially unclean. Now, if I touch that bread or water, it then becomes unclean. I can't make it holy, but I can definitely make it unclean. That's the point that he's asking here, okay? So let's go on. Let's get back to what the prophet is saying here. All right. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with the people, with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone, before stone were placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you with all the products of your toil. I struck all the pro you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple has been laid, consider, is the seed that is the seed that in your barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. And from this day on, I will bless you. Okay, so what's going on here? All right, let's talk about this. So the, the Lord points out that the unclean nature of the people has corrupted the rebuilding. So it isn't just that they do the Lord's work. This is the point of the message. It isn't just that they do the, point, the Lord's work. So he's using it through the illustration. So the priest can't make something holy, but if the priest is not clean, he can make it unclean. And so the people, they're doing the rebuilding, and even if they touch these, holy, these stones that are going to become holy, they're making them unclean because they're not where they should be. It's corrupting the work. Do you understand? Do you under, some of you are, look confused. Anybody got to understand what I'm saying? The point is, is they're not where they should be in doing the work. What do you mean where they should be? They're not where they should be spiritually just because you're just doing work for the Lord doesn't mean that it's okay. You need to be, what, in a right relationship with him. Otherwise, you're what? Unclean, right? By your sins. So the Lord struck them with severe consequences, but they did not respond and repent. I mean, he's striking their products with mold and mildew and, and, and all these things. And they know that this is happening because they're not doing right. And so what, what do they should do? They should repent. But they're not. They're not responding and they're not repenting. So the Lord tells them that he will bless them if they respond and rebuild. He's going to bless them if they do what's right. That, what does that mean? Get right with God. In your own personal life, get right. Be the person that you're supposed to be in your relationship with him. And then do the work and I will bless you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's the thing. We, we, you know, like Even in our church, we have lots of things that we should be doing for the Lord. Okay, And I'm not just talking positions. I'm talking about 
what God leads you to do as far as encouraging people, volunteering, whatever, in every capacity. Just doing that isn't enough. That's not the point. Anybody can do it. But to have God's blessing with it is you have to be the right person, meaning you have to be in a right relationship with him. Therefore, God will bless, okay? Bless the work that you're doing for him. Now, we're getting to the final message, the fourth message. Look with me at verses 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day. So on the same day as this message telling him to get right, he's going to give him another message on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. So it's just to Zerubbabel. And saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go up every one by the sword of his brother. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shetil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay, what's going on here? All right, this is a messianic declaration. Well, Zerubbabel is not the mess, the, not the uh, Messiah. No, but from Zerubbabel, the, the Messiah would come. Remember, Zerubbabel is a son of David, right? He's in the line of the Messiah. So let's take a look here. So during the same time period, a message from the Lord came a second time from Zerubbabel. The Lord declares that he's about to destroy the kingdoms of the world. All right, so when we read this, we know that this has to be a future prophecy. Why? Because during this time of Zerubbabel, did he destroy the kingdoms of the world? No. No, not at all. The Medo-Persian Empire would go on for many years after this until Alexander the Great destroyed it, okay? So we're talking long period of time here, all right? So he's, this is a future prophecy. So he's saying, I'm going to destroy the kingdoms of the world. Now, when will that take place, folks? When will the kingdoms of this world be destroyed? At the second coming, okay? Because the Messiah, who is what? A son of David, will come, all right? Now, you say, well, he's going to make Zerubbabel the signet. Hold on, we'll explain that in a moment, okay? So the Lord declares that he will take Zerubbabel and make him a signet ring. A signet ring denoted authority. Now, what does he mean here? He's going to take Zerubbabel and make him a signet ring. Well, what it is, and this is different than how we would say it, okay? So in my house, there's George, okay? And my sons are Hudson, Sawyer, and Foster. Okay, now we don't say whenever those like uh, like Sawyer just graduated from his nuclear power school with the Navy, we don't say George graduated from nuclear power school. We don't talk that way, do we? In fact, we would look at you if I said that I graduated from nuclear power school. People would say, "Are you okay today? Is there something wrong with you? Are you not getting enough? Are you lightheaded or something, George? No, no, no. Understand something. In their thinking, 
more than 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, they, they would say that Zerubbabel did, would become this through his offspring. Do you understand what I'm saying? We see that in many other places, okay? That through Zerubbabel will become a signet ring through his offspring. Who ultimately is that offspring? Jesus, okay? Jesus, because at that time when Jesus comes back, what? The kingdoms of this world will be destroyed. So it's a messianic claim here. He'll make him a signet ring. So he proclaims the reestablishment of David's line and the promise of the future. Because right now, can I be honest with you? Who's the big guy on the block right now when this letter is being written? It's not the Babylonians anymore. It's who? Darius, okay, of the Medo-Persian Empire. They're the ruling, okay, we're at the height of their kingdom, all right? They're the ruling power. We're in submission to them. And you're the Jewish people, and you're like, oh, we're waiting on the Messiah. Is there any hope for the kingdom of David anymore? It doesn't seem like it, right? No, so here comes the prophet and says, I'm going to take you, Zerubbabel, son of David. I'm going to make you a signet ring, and I'm going to destroy these nations. It's a promise that the line of David will continue on, and guess what? It's a promise for the future. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's a promise for the future. And that's what the fourth message is. It's, it's an encouragement to these folks. All right, four messages. I tried to get through the introduction and all these messages. All right, so when we get back, we're going to start Zechariah. Now, Zechariah isn't going to take one week. Zechariah might take three weeks, okay? Because I think there's 12 chapters in Zechariah, okay? So we're going to do an introduction, and there's a lot going on in Zechariah. Zechariah is an interesting prophet. He's a post-exilic prophet, but he was martyred for his faith. Do you understand? He was killed by the Jews. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to share. There is at least one vision that he has with Joshua the high priest, so it's around the same time as Haggai, where I, I, it's one of my favorite passages where he sees a vision of Joshua in dirty clothes, turban and everything, and Satan is there accusing him. And the angel of the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And then he commands Joshua to be clothed in clean clothes and have a new turban put upon his head. And I think that's what the Lord does for us right now. Because we have an accuser of the brethren. Who is that, folks? Satan. And right now, who is on the right hand of the Father being our advocate? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's there advocating for us, interceding for us. Is that not awesome? I thought that was a beautiful illustration. We'll get into that the next time.